Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 this morning. Very, very different type of message today. And uh, I want to I want to share a story with you. And typically what would happen is I would study out something and try to learn the context of it and understand the passage. And then I'll just preach from that some principles or some Bible truths. And, and, uh, but today I, I felt like the Lord would have me share the actual story with you, share the study with you. And so we're going to look at the life of a man named Caiaphas. And then we're going to look how his life intersects with the apostle Peter. All right, and then from that, we're going to draw some principles. And so we'll spend quite a bit of time on Caiaphas at the start. So we're going to look at a lot of scripture. We're going to start in Luke chapter 3. We'll go into the book of John, and then finally we'll be in the book of Acts. All right, and we'll see how this life progresses. But I think it's important uh, for me, if I were to preach uh, the principles of this message, it would be very important for me to understand who is this Caiaphas and why uh, is it so integral and essential to the story of Jesus and the story of Peter? And, and really, it's a story of victory we'll see in the end, all right? So let's have a look today at Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 and verse 1. And I'm only reading this passage to help us understand that in this first verse, uh, two verses and verse 2 in particular, is the first time we hear the name Caiaphas in chronological order in the Bible. We see him in the book of Matthew, but this is earlier than where we find him in the book of Matthew. So let's look at chapter 3 and verse 1 of the book of Luke. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tretrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tretrarch of Ituria, and the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, the Tretrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, as in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, help us today, Lord, as we look at the word of God. Lord, help us to track the life of this man who would later intersect with Jesus Christ and then intersect with Peter and see what it means to have a test of our faith to see what it means to overcome fear and previous failures. Lord, to live a life that glorifies the Lord. Lord, I, I don't believe that this meeting was by chance, but I believe that God ordained it to test Peter, to help him grow, to help him learn how to rely upon the Holy Ghost that was now a part of his life. And so I pray that you'd help us to learn those same principles and lessons today. Lord, I need your help, and so I ask for your filling. Fill me with thy Holy Spirit, I pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 3, we see a bit of a commentary of what is going on in the Jewish priesthood. The Bible talks about the setting or the time when John the Baptist would come preaching in the wilderness, and it talks about the reign of Tiberius Caesar. We understand the Roman governor. Then it says that Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. And of Judea, it was broken down into three parts. Herod was Tretrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was Tretrarch of uh, Iturea. And then the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias was the Tretrarch of Abilene. So we have these three regions of Israel, Galilee and Lysania, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Abilene, and, and uh, the two parts together of Iturea and Trachonitis. And then the Bible says that Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. Verse 2, now it's interesting that the word of God came unto John. 
I can understand, and I think you understand, that the word of God would not come to the Romans. I don't mean that God does not love the Romans, that God did not, would not shed his light to the Romans, the Gentiles, that they did not need Christ. I'm not saying that at all. But God had chosen in those days to work through his people Israel. And so it makes sense he's not going to come to Caesar, he's not coming to Herod or, or Pontius Pilate or anybody else, but instead we would assume that he's going to come to the high priest. We read in the Old Testament of Aaron how God would speak to Aaron. We know that Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, went into that holy place as the high priest at that time and came home, uh, couldn't speak because God appeared to him and spoke to him. But now the Bible says the high priest is Annas and Caiaphas. I think it's a real commentary on their life that God chose not to speak to them. But instead he chose a country preacher by the name of John the Baptist. You say, why is that? Because the priesthood had become corrupt. There was never a time in Israel's history where there was more than one high priest, but now there was at least two. Annas and his son-in-law, Caiaphas. And they would trade back and forth. As a matter of fact, as we go through this story today, you will see in John 11 in just a moment that Caiaphas was the priest that year, the high priest that year, which is an unusual thing for a high priest was a priest for life. Later on, we will see that Anna, when we get in the book of Acts, was the high priest that year. And so they would trade back and forth based on political alliances, and it would help them deal with Rome as, as they had different gifts and skills, and they would just interchange one with another. In other words, the Jewish religion had become man-led and man-centered. They would vote on things that God had already ordained, and they would move men in and out of office that God did not want in and out of office. And so here we were in a corrupt system, and God was speaking, but he went to his man, John. That is Caiaphas, the son-in-law of Annas, and he was a high priest that year. Now, turn to John chapter 11. We look at Luke chapter 3 just to get an idea of who he was and what his station in life was and how the priesthood was corrupt. But look at John chapter 11. We're going to tell the story of this man, Caiaphas. In John chapter 11, we have a great Bible story, and we're going to pick it up in verse 41. How many of you here today remember the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Lazarus died. The Bible says, and Martha ran to meet Jesus, and she said, Master, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But it was Mary that stayed behind quietly in her home and just waited upon the Lord. When the Lord arrived, they would go together to the grave and there they would find people that had come out of the city and they were weeping and wailing around the grave of Lazarus. And Jesus steps up to the grave and commands that they remove the stone. In verse 41, it says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when they had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. The many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. 
But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take him away, both our place and nation. You know, the raising of Lazarus from the dead caused a lot of problems for the Pharisees and the high priest. The Bible says they would gather the chief priests together and they would rub their hands together and they'd say, what do we? What can we do? What are we going to do now? What is the next step? This fact that this Jesus has raised a man from the dead and notice what their fears were. Number one, that all men might believe on him. What a, what a terrible thing to think. Can you imagine that you are so bound up in your religion that you're afraid of people trusting in Jesus? You know why? Because when you trust in Jesus, you get freedom. There is liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is. And for folks to come to Jesus Christ would ruin the Jewish religion. It had become big business. It had become this, this thing that was man-centered and man-run. And they didn't know what to do if they would lose. And the Bible says in verse 45, that many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But others, look at verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together a council and they said, what do we do? For this man is doing many miracles. If we let him thus alone, look what it says, all men will believe on him. That's what religion does. Religion leaves out Jesus Christ. It says you can work your way to heaven. You can be part of the church and go to heaven. You can uh, be an adherent of this religion and go to heaven. Years ago, I preached a funeral for a man uh, that had passed away, and I guess you already got that if I'm doing a funeral, right? He had passed away, and his, his nephew came to my church, and he, they lived right next to each other. They were very close. It was his favorite uncle. And so his mother that was arranging the funeral said, you know, Mike, you, you folks are going to this Baptist church, and, and you know, we're, we're staunch Roman Catholics, but, you know, if, if you would like your pastor to come and be a part of the funeral... If that would help you get through this, we'd, we'd, we'd allow that. We'd let him have a part in the funeral. And so they called me and they said, well, would you pray at the funeral? That's all we want you to do. And they said, the only reason we're even asking you is because my son and daughter-in-law goes to your church. She was, a very, she was a very harsh woman. The only reason I'm even asking you is because my son and daughter-in-law go to your church and I just feel like you need them there. I said, sure, that'd be fine. I thought I can pray the gospel, right? We can preach for 20 minutes in a prayer. And so I thought, I'll just pray the gospel. And uh, so anyway, long story short, the lady told the priest that. And he, didn't get, he got really upset about that. He didn't like that a Baptist. So he called me, and he was going to give me my prayer. He told me, I'll have it all written. You just have to get up and read this prayer, and you know this will be what you'll say. And you can have a part in the service, but you're going to fall. I'm the officiant. And well, she didn't like that, so she fired the priest. And she said, you're going to do the service and he's just going to pray. Well, she didn't tell him. And he called me back and I, he says, well, here's what the service order is and here's where you're going to read the prayer. And, and I said, well, I said, maybe you need to talk to the family because they've asked me now to officiate the funeral and do the message. And, and uh, well, he got really upset. And he had a, a brother Patterson. He talked just like you. He was from Ireland. 
And when he got angry, I'd hate to see you angry because I couldn't understand you. And he got, he got angry, and I just couldn't understand him. And he hung up the phone, and next thing you know, she called me back. And she says, I fired them all together. You're preaching the funeral. And I said, okay. I went to the funeral home. I, I never told this in the earlier service, but I went to the funeral home, and she pulled me aside. And she said, she says, listen, you preach whatever you want, but don't you ask them if they're saved. I said, ma'am, I said, I... Listen, I said, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, that's a Bible word. I said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's, those are Bible words. I can't avoid Bible words. I said, she said, no, 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 you preach whatever you want. But what she meant was she didn't want me to do an invitation. She didn't want me to do an altar call at the end. And, and so we talked about that a little bit, and, and uh, that was fine. I, I thought, as long as I get to preach the gospel, that's all I want. The next day, she, at the funeral, she came to me and she says, her family got so upset that she had a Baptist preacher in there. She says, go ahead and ask them if they're saved. I don't care. <laughs> go ahead and ask them. She was mad. <laughs> so just to spite them, I got to preach the gospel, give an invitation, and do everything. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But we went to the cemetery, and I was committing the body and preaching and praying. And they had a Catholic priest in their family, and he went around to everybody. He said, don't you believe him? Don't you listen? He's over the top about Jesus. You're already saved if you're part of the church. If you've been baptized, you're part of the church and you're saved. Don't you worry about all this personal relationship stuff. And, and he just went around and he... You see, because when people get saved, they're free from religion and free from bondage. And Caiaphas didn't like that. He said, Caiaphas... His name is not mentioned there. It's talking about the council of the chief priests and the Sadducees. Look at verse 49. And one of them named Caiaphas. There he is. Being the high priest that same year, said unto them, he know nothing at all. Look, what, look how he steps in. You guys know nothing. What arrogance religion will bring. They were worried about people getting saved and leaving their religion. They were worried about losing the money to the treasury. They were worried about losing the attendance. They were worried about people finding freedom in Christ. They were worried about the Romans more than they were God. The Bible says in verse 48, if we let them thus alone, all men will believe on him and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. We're not here to please God. We're here to keep the Romans happy. What a horrible, horrible church. What a horrible religion. I'm not saying that the Jewish religion at the start, when God had founded, was wrong. I'm saying these men had corrupted it. When man gets involved and doesn't obey God, this is what happens. So Caiaphas steps in. He says, you don't, you don't know anything. You know nothing at all. Verse 50, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. Sometimes we read that passage and we think that he's being prophetic. And the Bible says he, it is a prophecy in the sense that he doesn't know it's a prophecy, but it is. But that's not what he meant when he said it. What Caiaphas is literally saying, hey guys, it's better that we kill Jesus than let the Romans come and kill all of us. He used his position as the high priest to leverage people. To push, can you imagine the, a religious leader ordering the death 
of another human being just to save his own religion. That's how wicked this all had become. This is Caiaphas. This is the power that he has, the arrogance that he had. They, they feared losing uh, their nation to the Romans. And they, and, but Caiaphas had an answer. Let's kill Jesus. He is the first to suggest it. Now, we know that Isaiah said that he was wounded for our transgressions. We, we understand that Isaiah had prophesied it. But since Jesus was born of a virgin, he is the first to say it out loud. Jesus must die. That's the arrogance. That's the hatred of this man Caiaphas. Now look at another passage with me. Turn, if you will. We're in John chapter 11. Look, look down, if you will, in John chapter 18. Just turn forward a few pages. I can't imagine the line of thinking. Caiaphas has heard the council. Listen, the council admitted with their own lips, this man doeth many miracles. It wasn't just Lazarus. They knew what Jesus was capable of. And capable, Jesus comes, I mean, Lazarus comes walking down the street and they still refuse to believe. And yet they say, let's kill Jesus. Let's kill this miracle worker. Let's kill this man who says he's sent from God and has signs and wonders to back it up. Let's kill this one and obey the Romans rather than obey God. Look at John chapter 18. John chapter 18, we'll pick it up in verse 12. The Lord Jesus Christ has been betrayed. And the Bible says in verse 12, Then the band of the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. And led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. So Caiaphas is still the high priest. Annas is his father-in-law, who was also considered a high priest. Now Caiaphas was he which counseled the Jews, gave counsel to the Jews, that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. That was in verse chapter 11. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. Now think about this. I had not seen this in the scriptures before. I often think of Jesus outside when he's warming himself by the fire, because that's what we think. But he was actually inside the palace. Now, a palace is not like what we think of today. A palace would have an outer court. It might be open to the elements. And so there in that outer court, we see that Peter is warming himself. But notice, notice what it says. It says that this other disciple, I believe to be John, because John often referred to himself like that. He knew who Caiaphas was. And Caiaphas knew who John was. And John was able to go in with the Lord Jesus Christ for his questioning because he knew Caiaphas. And the Bible says that Peter stayed out. Peter stood at the door, verse 16. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. So John has gone in with Jesus Christ and he gets in there and he looks around and he goes, oh, Peter didn't come. And he turns around, he goes back to the door, and he says to the lady keeping the door, the damsel, ma'am, this is this friend's with me. And Peter's able to come in as well. 
And the Bible says in verse 17, or verse 18, and the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Now, verse 19 is talking about Annas, not Caiaphas. George W. Bush is still called President Bush, even though he's not the president of the United States, correct? You still refer to him as president. And that's a title that he carries the rest of his life. And so the same is true of the high priest. Even though Annas is not the high priest right now, he's referred to as the high priest. We'll show you that in a moment because in a moment they will go to Caiaphas' house. But the Bible says the high priest begins to question him. And Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest's soul? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, hear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. Annas asked some questions, and a guard slaps Jesus across the face. And Annas, not hearing what he wants to hear, decides, I will send him to Caiaphas. He's the high priest. He's the one that must make the final decision. So now they go to Caiaphas' house, and the Bible says in verse 25, And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, Therefore, unto him, Are now thou one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? But Peter denied again immediately the cock crew. The point of telling you that story is to show you where Peter and Caiaphas began to intersect. Peter was invited in to that inner chamber, the outer court of that palace of Annas. Didn't go right in, perhaps, but from there he could hear the questioning. And he would know what Caiaphas was capable of. He would go later that night from Annas' house to Caiaphas's. He followed Jesus throughout the night. And when we were in Israel, we found that to be quite a distance. Annas had a home right inside the city, but Caiaphas was outside the city and up on a hillside. And they have found the literal place of Caiaphas. It's a lot of places there are called traditional sites. But Caiaphas' house they found. They found pottery with his name inscribed upon it. They found the jail cell down in the bottom of his house that, that housed Jesus overnight. Can you imagine how wicked you must be to have a jail cell in your own home? And so Caiaphas' home was up on a hill and there was a stone stairway that was still there that likely Jesus walked up. And it's likely at the bottom of those stairs that Peter would find comfort around a fire and be questioned two more times if he was with Jesus. Are you starting to understand why Peter denied Jesus? Because of this wicked and cruel man that said, Jesus must die. And perhaps the disciples walked around for a while and said, oh, come on. 
Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is going to set up a kingdom on earth. Why are we fearing what man can do on us? But do you know one disciple that didn't think that way? It was Peter. Because when Jesus said, the Son of Man must needs go up to Jerusalem, Peter said, not so, Lord. They're going to kill you if you go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God. Peter knew. Peter had heard the rumors. He knew about the bounty on Jesus' head. Judas also knew, and he went and collected it. He took those 30 pieces of silver to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter knew that if Jesus went to Jerusalem, he would die. Why is that? Because Caiaphas put a bounty on his head. John chapter 11. In John chapter 18, it's referred to once again. The apostle John also knew that Jesus had a bounty on his head, that Caiaphas wanted him dead. And Jesus, that night he was betrayed. Peter followed him from Annas' house to Caiaphas' house, back into the city where he would be scourged, where he'd be beaten, where he'd be mocked, where he'd be scorned, where he'd be put a cross upon his back. And Peter would follow from afar off, the Bible says, as he dragged that cross to the streets and stumbled and fell. And finally, Simon would pick up the cross and they would go to Calvary and he would crucify and Peter would see all of this and I begin to understand why Peter denied knowing Jesus not only that Annas just got through saying tell me of your doctrine and what else your disciples tell me who's following you around can you imagine when Peter heard that? I'm sure he looked at Jesus and went, is he going to tell? Is he going to point at John? Is he going to point at me? There's one over there. These are my disciples. When Anna said that, that's when the damsel turned to him and said, weren't you with him? Peter said, no, not me. Mm-mm. Is it starting to make sense? It doesn't excuse for a second what Peter did. But he was afraid. Because Caiaphas was a wicked, murderous man. Read on. Turn, turn to another passage with me. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, back a little bit. Verse 31, this is why all this is taking place. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, now look at that next phrase. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both unto prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the crock shall not crow this day before thou hast thrice denied 
that thou knowest me. Jesus gives us some insight of why of all this is happening. Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Jesus, why would you let that happen? Why? And Jesus did not say to Peter, but Peter, I've prayed that that would not happen. He didn't say that. I've prayed that your faith won't fail. That your faith won't fail. He said, oh, but it must have failed. I mean, come on. He went out and denied Jesus. Let me ask you this. Since you got saved, have you ever messed up? Have you ever failed Jesus? I have all the time. All the time. And Peter was no different. But Jesus said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In other words, he's saying, Peter, there's some things that got to still change in your life. There's some growing you need to do. Sometimes that growing comes through sifting. And so Satan, I don't know, I don't know how it all works. I, I don't know how that spiritual thing takes place. But somehow Satan asked God for permission. I want to sift him. Kind of, kind of like Job, isn't it? He only, he only loves you because you go so good to him. All right, you go ahead and tempt him. But he won't deny me. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But Peter, it's going to lead to a conversion. Not, not salvation. We, we often call salvation conversion. There's going to be some changes made because of this. And when, when they happen, man, Peter, you're going to be able to strengthen the brethren. It's going to change your life. And so I'm going to allow Satan to do this. I'm just going to pray that your faith won't fail. Sometimes we need trials. We need temptation because it helps us lean on the Lord. Helps us grow closer to him. It helps convert us and change us and grow us and make us more like Christ. I'm not saying the Lord just throws us to the lions. I'm not saying that at all. But it's in our weakness, he is made strong. And we grow through those trials and we grow through those times. You say, well, it did it work? Turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. The Lord Jesus Christ that night would die on the cross. The Bible says that Judas went out and hanged himself. But the Bible says in Matthew and Luke that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Broken hearted over his sin. His failure. Jesus would rise from the grave and he would say to Mary, you know what he said to Mary? Go and tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive. Go tell Peter. What grace. He was saying to Peter, Peter, it's okay. Yes, you, you had a rough night. You failed me. You sinned. You fell. I understand Caiaphas was a wicked, murderous man, and you were afraid. I understand. But I love you, Peter. 
And Peter, with a repentant heart, went out and he wept bitterly. The Bible says that Jesus would go out 40 days, appear on earth, and then finally ascend up into heaven. Peter was there, and he would go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost came, Peter would stand and preach, and 3,000 souls would be saved. What a great day. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I to thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. But you know what? Not everybody was happy. Guess who was upset again? The chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the high priest. The Bible tells us in verses 12 through 26, and we won't read for the sake of time, that Peter begins to preach to those that would gather in Solomon's porch. They heard of this great miracle, and they saw this man that was now leaping and praising God. And so they gathered together, and the Bible says 5,000 got saved. I don't know about you. Peter's come through a great trial And he sees 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. He sees 5,000 saved a few weeks later outside the temple gate. And Peter's thinking to himself, man, this is wonderful. Thousands being saved. Thousands coming to Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost is doing miracles through me. But I hope I never see Caiaphas again. That's what I would think. I hope I never run into that guy again. Well, the... Pharisees and Sadducees were mad again. And as he's preaching and thousands are saved, it says in chapter 4, verse 1, look there. Hold on, we're almost done. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them on hold into the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. It came to pass on the moral that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and who? Caiaphas. And John and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priests, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Let me say this. I don't believe that for one minute that this is an accident, that this is a chance meeting. The last time Peter was around the high priest, he heard Anna say, tell me of your doctrine and your disciples. Tell me about Peter. Tell me about John. Tell me who's running around with you. Caiaphas would put Jesus to death. 
And that's, that's what's going on in Peter's head. And now the elders and the scribes come and they take him and they gather a council together and they're standing before this council and Peter looks up and in the crowd, who does he see? Caiaphas. And you know what the first question he gets is? By whose name did you do this? It's gut check time. Do you know what the difference is? Peter could have said, I don't know who you're talking about. I, I don't know this Jesus. That's what he did last time. But look what it says in verse 8. But Peter being filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me translate that for you. Peter, when you are converted, something changed in his life. The trial had brought forth the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and Peter's gratitude and faith grew and, and he ran to Jesus and God filled him with the Holy Spirit of God and he says, being filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom he crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Peter's faith was tested. But this time, he had a victory. Why? Because he was filled with the Holy Ghost. You say, you mean to tell me you went through all that story of Caiaphas just to say we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost? You don't have to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but you'll act like Peter around a campfire. I'd rather act like Peter standing before a council saying, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Which Peter do you want to act like? Peter was finally able to move forward and, and conquer his fears because he was, uh, do you think it's an accident that Caiaphas was there that day? And almost the very same question comes out of his mouth. Whose name did you do this in? Most of us would be afraid to name the name of Jesus in that moment. But Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. His fears were conquered. And he moved forward for Christ and God gave him a great ministry. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a, a book about those that have died for their faith in Christ. It's not scripture. But it says this of Peter... The tradition is, is that when he was about to be martyred, that they wanted to crucify him. And he asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die the same way his Savior did. What incredible faith. Thousand, did Peter ever fail again? Sure he did. Paul had to withstand him to the face for not eating with the Gentiles. Then he went and hid when the Jews came around. Yeah, he's flesh. And he failed from time to time. But when Peter was walking in the Spirit of God, he wasn't afraid of anybody. God has not given us the spirit of fear. That's not from God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment today. Let's stand to our feet. Can I ask you this? Do you have a Caiaphas in your life? It may not be a person. What is that thing you're afraid of? What is that thing that is holding you back from serving God properly? 
Jesus said, Peter, when you're converted, you'll strengthen the brethren. And once Peter went through that trial and was filled with the Holy Ghost of God, God began to use him in a miraculous way. Maybe you have a Caiaphas, something in your life that is just holding you back. Why don't you come and give that to the Lord? Sometimes it's just an excuse. We just have to give it up to him. Maybe there's one here today, say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I know it wasn't a salvation gospel message as such. But you'll never have the Holy Ghost of God unless you're born again. Unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's, That's the gift that God gives to a new believer. Is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He wants to be your comforter. He wants to seal you under the day of redemption. That means put God's mark upon you that says you're his child. But you must come to Jesus Christ through faith and he will make you right with the Father. He made a way. Donna sang that song, What Love Is This? That one line, What Love Is This? That Jesus Christ would make us a way to the Father. You must come through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can help you today. So one say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not going to embarrass you, but can I pray for you today? I won't call it your name. I need to know more. I need to know more about the Lord. Let us help you. Is there one? Just slip up your hand. Maybe there's others today. Say, Pastor, there is a Caiaphas in my life. There's something that's holding me back, something I'm fearful of. Would you go to the Lord in prayer right now and do business with God?